Hello everyone and welcome to our next episode. Today I'm here with Abi Stanian, a visual and service designer at Fjord who believes that a strong brand has the power to inspire real change. Happy to have you here today. Thank you. So Abi, please tell us a little about yourself and explain how did your career in design start? Why did you pick design and <laughs> anything that could be valuable? That's a good question. Um, so I'm from just outside of London originally, um, and I uh, studied new media at, at the University of Leeds, which um, covered quite a broad spectrum of different design areas from web design and development to motion graphics design to communications design, uh, product design, and um, also going into more um, programming knowledge such as uh, even looking into cold fusion and data mining data mining for example so quite a broad spectrum um, of, of areas um, and yeah that made me very ready for the working world because it was very broad um, and yeah so I started working in London for about five years working in-house in, digi in digital de design teams uh, very much towards the, the fashion and editorial sectors and then decided to move to Berlin and found my way to Fjord, which is a um, human-centered design and innovation consultancy, part of the Accenture network, where I've been for the last six years. Nice. And why did you decide to move to Berlin? The reason that I moved to Berlin uh, were for quite a few reasons. I firstly needed a change from London I've been there for five years already. I also knew, um, come to know the, the UK very well and wanted to explore other parts of Europe and was very interested in the art and culture scene in Berlin, had also stayed quite a few times and wanted to, yeah, do something a bit different and uh, grow as a human being and also um, within my the work context also in terms of career development. So. Uh, yeah, coming to Berlin was quite an exciting opportunity at the time, and um, yeah, I was very much drawn to Fjord, um, based on the user-centered design approach, and wanted the opportunity to work in more of a consultancy environment because in the UK it had been mostly in-house. So yeah, I was excited to work on different types of projects and learn from a very international group of people. And yeah, it's been six years, and I'm uh, still very much enjoying the uh, the life here. Awesome, because I think that Berlin is one of those cities in Europe that's yeah known for basically everything. <laughs> like if you are a designer, it's per a perfect place to grow. The same goes for startups and yeah, all those companies that want to change something. Absolutely. Do you have a favorite sector to work with? I wouldn't say that I'm limited to a specific sector. Um, I would say I'm more attached to the problem to solve. And there's so many dependencies to me in terms of working on a project. Like, does it provide meaning? Does it have impact? Does it matter? Uh, so I'd say I'm more looking into does it um, does it fit the kind of requirements list that I have in my head uh, more so than the sector which I'm working in. But if I were forced to pick a sector, I I've definitely enjoyed my experience working in the healthcare sector significantly uh, because I find it obviously, yeah, a very rewarding experience um, working both 
in terms of the patient area, but also from a um, health practitioner level as well. Yeah, like the healthcare sector is one, yeah, one of the one of the sectors that's most connected with the humans. Because absolutely, what kind of project did you work for? So I've worked on quite a few different areas, um, both on patient side and um, and the health practitioner level. Um, so firstly, from a patient perspective, um, we worked uh, on the topic of migraines and uh, we're exploring a possible patient solution to support in the moment of a migraine attack. Um, and I found this a really interesting project uh, because we were very much looking into the digital therapeutic side of healthcare. So how can we use uh, behavioral design to support nudges towards a more um, a healthier lifestyle uh, and this kind of beyond the pill approach to design. Um, and I found that a really rewarding project, um, but also uh, have worked on projects supporting teams and collaborations within healthcare and um, healthcare organizations. So uh, particularly within life sciences, like how can you collaborate across different groups centered around one specific challenge? Um, so that was another area which I worked on too. Um, yeah, and then also like uh, as a studio, really looking into what are the kind of next uh, trends in regards to, to healthcare. That was another pro- interesting point of view, which we yeah. developed uh, a couple of years back. Yeah, like those projects sound very interesting, like <laughs> the one with migraines. I think many people would yeah, use it. No, it was, a, um, it was very interesting. Yeah. What do you think will be the trends in the coming years? that will yeah, impact the healthcare sector significantly? Mm. That's a, a really interesting how, uh, question. I would say one of the things that we learned was the fact that a, it won't always be a hospital that will be your healthcare provider in there. That's not going to be your one destination, but rather companies now are taking more ownership of certain areas to support employee health, for example. So you're starting to see a lot more schemes in regards to mental health support, uh, in regards to exercise, nutrition, etc. So some of the larger organizations are taking more responsibility here. I also see that um, it won't be necessarily a, a, a pharmacy or a um, or your local um, ha- now only know the German word for it house art. So your local local um, uh, practice uh, won't necessarily be the only places where you go to for healthcare support, but there might be more um, areas like kiosks, for example, in different types of stores where you can go in and and get uh, get your prescriptions, etc. So, more holistic approach to to access to healthcare. Um, we also see a lot of uh, shifts now in terms of the digital experience of healthcare. So, a lot more remote um, remote access to healthcare, which I think is a positive thing because then also you're getting a lot more uh, people from areas where they might not have the best healthcare system, but now they can now access uh, a, a, a doctor or even um, specialist in a certain field uh, in a different part of the world very easily now, and a lot more home care uh, treatment as well. So those were kind of the key things that we're starting to see and certainly starting to experience even within the pandemic. And I think also the pandemic has also shown us a real design challenge in terms of collaboration and sharing exactly. data privacy. So I think there's a, it's quite an interesting thing that we can all sort of um, follow and understand as in terms of what 
design is within healthcare today. Yeah, like the pandemic showed many problems that yeah, we weren't aware of in some cases. And yeah, it proved that we have to improve somehow as human beings and focus more on yeah, on our health. Exactly, exactly. And yeah, even in Poland, I don't know how it's in Germany or in the UK, but here the average age of a doctor is 50 plus. Mm. And, you know, the healthcare sector, it's tragic because <laughs> there are so much queues. So many people want to get to a specialist, mm. but they have to wait for a few months. And in a few months, the sickness that you have, it can... Yeah. It can yeah. escalate quite a lot. I mean, that's yeah. why we're also see- seeing this rise of um, AI, like as a first, uh, like an entry gate into giving you what you need. Uh, we have a lot more AI supported services, but they are not without their pitfalls. Um, so they, they, there's still a long way to go. But I think for like a first point of contact to getting you what you need um i think it's a definite improvement if it's very basic stuff that you need like a new subscription or uh, some basic guidance and symptoms like i think this uh, is where it really has a lot of value um but and then to allow the healthcare practitioners to really be able to just dedicate their time towards more acute cases of um, healthcare support yeah and with AI, more and more solutions are developed every year. What do you think? How can design improve lives in different ways, not only in the healthcare sector? I, I think design is certainly what I felt intuitively when I was working in the UK, but having worked at Fuel for many years and the philosophy and theory around designing to human needs, I think that's already like a good place to start. Uh, because you are designing something which is relevant um, to a specific user and is really factoring in the needs of not only those directly using it, but also considering those indirectly affected by a product or service. Um, I think examples where it can really help and improve lives. I mean, um, this idea of design being able to nudge people towards specific goals or outcomes or um or even like for example in the case of city planning being able to really use design to understand how people move around a city and shaping a city based on what those needs and goals are of the people who live within it and starting to observe what are the kind of flows and movements and interactions that are really going to support them to achieve their goals and also shape it for the lifestyles of that city as well as like the values and principles of that society i think those things are all really interesting ways where design can improve lives outside of healthcare for example um but also um what we're starting to see more and more is the the issues of of sustainability and i I really believe that design is a, a is a critical factor um to really support a radical change in the business world uh, to improve lives not only of human beings but also of all living beings including everything that we have within our natural environments today so really thinking about what are the impacts of a manufacturing line um, how is it negatively affecting communities around it 
Um, so starting to identify what the pains of those experiences are and designing for those specific moments, I think is, um, is really uh, a great thing. And we see how important it is because now you see design being central to a lot of leadership um, initiatives now across different organizations. They, they all have design thinking capabilities now. So I think it's become not only just a small factor of a small department within a organization, but central to a mindset and approach to problem solving today. Yeah, like I think that some of those big corporations, they don't really want to invest into that design because mm. it's it's good like it is. We don't want to change anything. Let's just keep it going and yeah, let's not care about the environment. Let's make a marketing campaign that will yeah make us look good because we've yeah, exactly somewhere. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. It, de- it definitely has been devalued in the past. And I, I think that's slowly changing now. I, I still believe that sometimes when clients come through our office, like we can still look like zoo animals, like to them, very like obscure creatures, walking around a, a playful environment. I think that can still feel a bit like alien to them. Um, but I, I think the value is slowly sort of making its impact and, when you have strong voices now taking design seriously, then I think things are starting to change quite significantly. Yeah. And yeah, the generations change and new people are coming to companies. They will surely yeah, have a huge impact and it's on them to yeah, force that change. On our last call, you mentioned a project for tracking yeah, how much energy we use, the pollution and could you tell us more about that? Because it was really interesting. So I think for certainly within Berlin, but like I think across the whole network now, there's a whole load of initiatives around sustainability. Um, and it's been a really interesting experience so far as we've been slowly trying to build a point of view uh, as small areas across the organization also on a wider scale but around two years ago we um around two years ago we supported and in the design week berlin design week and what we did was host um a gallery and set of talks um around different topics and one of those topics was around sustainability And what we did to prepare for this uh, gallery, immersive gallery experience, was we uh, decided to understand how we function as as a studio and what our own energy consumption and waste creation is. And it actually brought up some interesting learnings of what would seem like quite an easy endeavor, like energy usage, let's just talk to the energy companies which we use try and uh, gather some data and to start to analyze it to see what are we actually creating on it on a weekly, monthly, yearly basis and how can we also improve on those areas and also how can we use technology to track waste creation in in the studio itself. Um, And actually both things are really challenging. So from the energy usage, actually finding that data was almost impossible because you have a few hurdles to get through. We were rent, we are renting a space and, and there's a property management involved. So too many hurdles to get, uh, to get across, to get the data. And obviously 
a lot of um, confidentiality. So in the end, we gave up on that approach. And the other aspect was, um, yeah, actually implementing technology is actually quite difficult. It wasn't possible for us to use the printers which we had to track what was being printed, um, for example. Yeah, so in the end, it became a highly manual process where we were tracking uh, with a great support from the office management team to uh, to look into how much how many bags of rubbish are going out per day and what type of rubbish bag was going out per day, and that became like the basis of our data analysis. Uh, so yeah, I think yeah, there's, I mean, on an individual level, accessing your data is probably a lot easier, but um, when you're trying to for an organization creating a lot more waste and also in a corporate environment it's a very different kind of mindset that people have in those environments like at the home you're a bit more conscious because you it's your money that you're using to pay for energy usage and uh, you're also a bit more mindful about you're more aware about what your waste creation is but in an office environment it's really different like you feel like it's not uh, not everyone feels it's their responsibility what they are doing or, or waste creating and um, certainly energy use is just not really talked about so I think yeah we have these kind of like two opposing archetypes of a person like in the office environment and in the home environment so yeah it's quite an interesting um, quite an interesting area yeah like people change their faces when they enter the office <laughs> yeah absolutely absolutely yeah, yeah you lose your I mean, obviously, with a fuel, we pride pride ourselves on being our whole selves. Um, but I think, yeah, certainly when it comes to whose responsibility is it, um, there's often a pushback to the organization uh, in a way when it comes to in-office kind of energy usage and waste creation. You were saying that it was yeah, mostly a manual process. And yeah, that's where the software teams should get in and develop some IoT or anything like exactly, that. Exactly, exactly. It would have been awesome. Um, it would have been that was kind of our hope and goal that we would get a bit uh, creative with the technology. Um, but in the end, it was a bit more challenging than expected. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like sometimes developing those trackers, uh, chips, whatever. It's so much work that. Yeah, people don't even realize and they just take it for granted. But yeah, you've worked with software development teams and what, do you do, what would you say is the biggest problems for designers working with software development, software developers? So I think there are these stereotypes that we do have in our minds when it comes to developer designer working together. And I'd love to say they aren't necessarily true, but I've definitely met a few of them. Uh, including myself um, so I think uh, we do have these stereotypes so when it comes to from a designer perspective an idea sense of idealism comes into it we want to create something beautiful and memorable and, and unique um, and yeah that often with our big ideas and imagination can lead to challenges when working with a developer who has quite a limited world view of what is possible or not and the stereotype is definitely a shutting down of big ideas um, and I think that's sort of where this sort this role came about of a creative technologist uh, where you have this someone who understands technology and the limitations but also can think creatively over how to use what is available 
to support something quite original in, in design. So I think that's the sort of like bridge role, which we've uh, I've definitely worked with quite a few really talented creative technologists in the past. Um, and yeah, I think um, ultimately it's still a learning process. I think there are new ways of working now, which really support this collaboration. So we obviously have agile working methods where you're working closely together um, and ultimately trying to solve together as well and trying to also involve both uh, both disciplines earlier on in the pro design process to ensure that both voices are heard and both understand what the possibilities are. Um, but I think, yeah, both sides need to meet halfway. The designer needs to work to some of the constraints or be a bit more knowledgeable about what is available or not. And the developer also needs to have a bit more of an open mind uh, in terms of yeah, providing with a solution-orientated mindset providing other ways that you can build the same thing. Yeah, like I think that developers and these yeah, developers should be engaged early on in the design process because yeah, then they can understand the whole idea and not like everything's ready and yeah, now go and code it. Exactly. It's, they won't feel it yeah. then. And yeah, the whole team should be aligned and they should understand what they are working on and should feel that yeah, should feel the purpose. Of the project, absolutely, and um, we do see this more and more. Unfortunately, in our in um, yeah, I mean, in our own organization, it's not always possible. Um, but I think for certainly for smaller agencies where you do have um, both teams within one space, um, then I think it's a lot easier to have this collaboration. Yeah, but I think it also depends on the project because yeah, often people come in. And they don't have enough money to combine mm. the design and development. So they do one part and later they do the second part. And yeah, when it comes to yeah. going live, <laughs> yeah, it looks yeah, completely not, different than it should. It's not easy. Like my favorite work experience is actually in the UK when I was working in-house for a fashion company. And the creative technologist and I got on really well. And we would literally, um, yeah, have multiple casual conversations around what we want to do how we can solve for it and it was a it was a lot closer the interactions and collaborations i really enjoyed working with her and i also learned a lot as well in that process um so i think that was a really good example i think working in a consultancy environment it's a bit harder sometimes um and we i hear this every even today i had another designer talk to me around about this exact topic like wanting to work with developers more um, but not always having this opportunity. And certainly when we're um, an agency who works rather more in the strategic conceptual phases of projects and less so in the digital product development, makes it challenging sometimes. Yeah. That was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we are also talking about the consequences of their work, of the work of designers. Mm. So... What do you think? Should designers think about the consequences of their work or the project that they're working on? 100%. <laughs> I think it's something you just don't think about when you start out in design. Or maybe now it's different with the, the curriculums. Yeah, I think it's critical to think about the consequences of design. It certainly wasn't when I started out in my career, um, but definitely more and more 
um, I think is becoming quite central to to the work, or at least we all have an inkling now that it's important to think about consequences. Um, I think we can be very much focused on innovation and speed to market, um, and this has brought with it many damaging effects because. For example, when you think about Silicon Valley designing a new service or product, they're not thinking about what might happen in the other side of the world uh, in regards to job losses, for example. Um, I think that's a major issue. And having um, spent a lot of time working on healthcare projects, uh, but also um, together um, with a colleague and friend, Jenny, we have. Um, spent a lot of time looking into what are the negative consequences in in terms of how patients are treated um, in regards to clinical tests and evaluations because what we've discovered is and there's a very good book on this um, around uh, yeah what it's like to live in a in a a male-dominated world but also how all of so many products and services and certainly within healthcare, everything is designed on the male default, usually white male default. And I think this has proven to many challenges. Um, well, what we've definitely seen in that in regards to women, but also people of color and other marginalized groups. So I think um, maybe it was, I'm sure very, very, um, how can I describe? not unintentional the fact that they have just focused on a small sample they obviously wanted things to be consistent i understand that the scientific logic behind why they've got a smaller uh, sample when they are testing new treatments uh but the the issues are that because they've discounted so many different groups that we have so many health issues today and so many misdiagnoses and i think this is a huge huge problem um, by design. So I think, yeah, this lack of consideration of what are the kind of onwards effects of uh, making something faster and better and more innovative, um, and also uh, not considering what samples you're using when you're designing your products is also a huge factor. So I think we're definitely having to start to think about at which points should we be intervening to challenge and critique the work and the process? And do we have everyone representative in the room when we're making decisions? Is the data representative of all these different types of groups? Uh, because all of these things are, are so important. And I think, um, yeah, we should really think about, certainly when testing uh, prototypes, for example, like what is the data which you're using to feed into a prototype like is it diverse in nature or is it again you have to look not only at the data but also the people creating that data like who who are they and why have they how have they collected their data so I think there's a lot more questioning now uh, behind um, what you're using and for what purpose and uh, ensuring that you have the good representation right at the beginning and uh, yeah really challenging the work along the way. That was awesome. Was, like uh, seriously, that was a beautiful answer. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> like I think that when it comes to yeah, new products and everything, the speed to market is important. But when it comes to human lives, it's better to slow down and yeah, think agreed. about yeah, the whole agreed. picture. 
because you don't and know who will use the product or how how it will impact their lives. Like, do you even need the product at all? Like, yeah, this is what I I, I know. There's usually a lot of dependencies and investors backing this and expectations from leadership and a client. But uh, I've been called an idealist many times in my life. But I really do believe that we have the we should feel empowered to really question whether something deserves to be made. If it if you have gone through a lengthy testing process and you still can't. And you've, had, you've tested many hypotheses and it's still coming out with the same outcome as in it doesn't work or it is exclusive of people and is likely to have damaging effects. So I really believe that we should be able to feel empowered to not put something out there if it's really not going to, to improve lives. And yeah, I, I mean, obviously, investors looking at where to invest today, um, they have a lot more different a, a lot different requirements and there's more frameworks now available that do consider yeah more than the obvious kind of criteria so they're also thinking about um, environmental and social impact when making decisions about where to invest and these are the investors that you want to work with um, yeah. versus ones which are very profit driven uh, then we have to talk about what profit is in the end so yeah I think it's an interesting time yeah like Design can be used good, both for good and bad things. Like it can drive consumerism, or yeah. it can lower it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But yeah, it's on the people to decide where they want to go, and yeah, if it's right with their values. Exactly, totally, and that applies to yeah consumers, and it also applies to employees. Uh, there's a lot more stakeholders or shareholders that you have to consider now in terms of where you who you provide value to. Abby, what helps you to stay on top of things? How do you keep learning? How do you yeah, keep growing as a designer? I think there are, there are many tools in my life that I use. I think I need inspiration a lot. So I, I'm very much trying to keep my eyes open, trying to ensure that I'm seeing what is happening in, on obviously the regular design platforms, uh, the design inspiration platforms, but also uh, thinking about um, yeah, what is like trying to keep fresh and young a little bit in terms of what is pop culture today. Um, what are people talking about? I use a lot of podcasts. I'm also using a lot of tools to in terms of brain dumping. Like I think Evernote is my brain right now. <laughs> In terms of everything that I see, it's got literally everything. If I was to die tomorrow, you could probably, my my Evernote would survive without me. Um, so yeah, I think, uh, yeah. And other tools that I'm using constantly would be Trello, for example, for really saving my life when it comes to project management or life management more and more. Um, yeah, so I think those are probably the, the key things that I use from a digital perspective. and. My dog is my also my savior. She gets me out of the house five, four or five times a day and gets me into nature. And I, I really value that um, and gets me away from the screen. So yeah, without that, it would be probably a bit challenging. <laughs> yeah. uh, during the pandemic, did you work fully from home? or I did. I did. So initially, we um, went back and forth to the studio. Uh, but it just became really challenging uh, based on friends of a friend being in contact with someone with COVID. And then it, I, in the end, it just didn't make sense for me 
me to continue at that point. But I really see the value in going back to the studio. I think it is important for collaboration. There's a lot of schools of thought around innovation happens through these interactions with different people to make a coffee at the coffee machine to have these conversations there. Offices are designed in this way for movement of people and having these different room shapes even to support different types of activities. So see the value in space design for the way that people work and certainly from a health perspective, like it, it is good to feel, remind yourself that you're working for a company and I do enjoy that and I enjoy the culture. Um, but I also see the value of remote working. I see how now we're starting to see people who maybe were more on the introverted side sort of coming into their own a bit more because they have the freedom to work to their own rhythm, to not have to be front and center stage in front of lots of large groups of people again. And so we're starting to see like, yeah, maybe also characters thriving more in different types of work environments, which I also find quite interesting. So I don't know quite what the answer is yet, but I certainly see there's probably going to be a combination route in the future that's respectful for how people really want to work and not enforced in any way. That would be my yeah. one wish. <laughs> yeah, it shouldn't because yeah, people now know how it looks like to work from home. And yeah, they don't feel like going back to the office every day because even the commute... You can waste yeah. two hours per day. Exactly, exactly. It's, it's not like anybody's going to give you back those two hours. No, I, I would completely agree with the the fact that, yeah, you, you are losing time, certainly, through the commute. I also see um, the value of, well, we, we've definitely discovered along the way how some types of jobs really do work from a remote setting. So that makes sense. And a lot of people don't, really want to be in the office and also we're seeing like a, a real like movement of people like away from cities into more natural environments and or like more nature um and more space and so we're seeing people move away from the cities which is completely understandable um and yeah whilst still there is still this need for like i said people being in one room uh, from time to time to still have this like physical interaction and sharing yeah so we just need to find the right balance exactly exactly what would you say should be part of the design curriculum (laughs) i think we really need to be adaptable because i mean to be honest i'm quite principle driven i think that one of the core principles should be adaptability because of how quickly things move how quickly industries change And we've seen in the past how um, generations of people who have just done one job their whole life and then they get to 50 and then suddenly their job is completely redundant. And that that shift from, example, people working in coal mining in the UK, in Wales, for example, suddenly coal mining industry is over. It was at the time anyway. (laughs) So it's suddenly make a comeback. Hopefully not. Um, Yeah, so when that happened... You have a lot of people who then can't uh, easily transition into a, into a different industry and it's all really quite scary and uh, it's a huge learning curve when they've, they know their skill and craft so well. So I think adaptability is a huge, huge soft skill that everyone needs to, to develop and hone because 
certainly within an agency environment, we are shifting every single day. You have to adapt your process to different types of stories. You also need to become an expert in a uh, in a disease in a day. Like there are all these things that were unexpected, but somehow now are expected. Certainly from a client perspective, like do you know what? Do you know the subject matter to a point where you can talk to doctors on an equal, um, maybe not a level playing field, but you can at least design accordingly and have some capacity for for what you're trying to achieve. Um, so yeah, adaptability is a key one. And I also think experimentation, this this kind of approach where there might, there's not only one way of doing something, but can we mix and match in our approach? This And certainly um, what we're seeing with sustainability issues is like a lack of an experimental mindset in companies. And I think having this ability to think quite creatively about how to solve difficult and complex problems um, is something where experimentation is heavily required um, and to solve some of the uh, very worrying problems of our world, resources running out, these types of things. I think we need to think creatively about how to use what we have already and to experiment. And we are in this phase right now. yeah, and I think lastly, just systems thinking is so important as well. I think what we've seen is certainly through the pandemic is that everything is connected, like cause yeah. and effects, this relationship with others, and it's difficult to ignore now. So the systems level thinking is really important. And I think that also comes back to consequential design. Are you thinking about the network effect of what you create? Um I think this is going to be quite central and certainly very important for for students and uh, to be learning today. Awesome. (laughs) Do you have some tips for someone who wants to get into design or is that the start of their career? I would say for someone starting out in their career is to just have a a very, very open mind. And from my perspective, I, I don't like to limit myself to any one thing, but rather be very focused on the problem to solve. And I think it's important to have many tools of trade that you can apply and throw at one problem. So having having understanding of different types of disciplines, how to work with different types of disciplines is really important. To have a very open mind. Agency environments are really great because you do get the opportunity to work on different types of projects and different types of problems. Um, but of course, if you want to work on something from start to finish an in-house environment is, is also good and caters for that yeah I think developing a, a strong point of view is also good so, so to be really aware of what's happening outside of the screen to be aware of current political landscape as well and really ensuring that your your knowledge and education is not only from a design book but all around you I would say I think that People grow the most in agencies because yeah, it's such an environment that yeah forces you to grow, mm. <laughs> and you have to yeah catch different things, different aspects of the business, and yeah develop constantly. Absolutely, yeah. So it's an on, ongoing learning curve. I don't think one day has been at all boring in any way. <laughs> so I can definitely recommend the agency environment. To finish off, where can people find you? <laughs> um, where can you find me? Um, 
probably LinkedIn. I'm not a massive sharer on Twitter, unfortunately. Awesome. So thank you for today and see ya. Thanks for having me. This podcast is brought to you by Elite Crew, the software house that helps designers shape the world. If you need help with your project or want to consult technical matters, just drop us a message at EliteCrew.io. We'll be happy to help.